10.01 p.m. 20th, May 2020. Uh, quarantine, two months, three, four days. Anywho, <laughs> uh, I have started doing, uh, as perhaps you've heard before this one, uh, I've started making podcasts uh, of what I've been doing, public domain fiction, but I realized that I can actually do this in multiple languages. And the way that I've been breaking stuff down and uh, explaining stuff anyhow, uh, this actually is a really interesting development to the thing that I'm doing. And of course, it is pushing me in a different direction. It's working some muscles I haven't and not having uh, used German or Yiddish uh, for quite a while. And tonight, uh, going back to uh, last night, I did my first biblical reading and I'm doing that again tonight with uh, the Song of Deborah, which is from the Book of Judges and has a very interesting history. If you happen to be uh, quarantined in a hotel or motel, please reach into your bedside drawer if you want to follow along. Uh, and wherever and whoever and whenever you are, I hope that this finds you well. Um, I do take requests for other things to read. So if you want to hit me up on Twitter at time of posting for that or other reasons, I would be delighted to help uh, spread some other things as well. Other stuff that people can read now that we have this time and stuff going on. And uh, actually to that point as well, uh, the text that I'm reading from uh, is going to be, actually, except in this case, for part of it that I'm translating is my translation of this, and I'll get to that. Uh, but I'm using the text uh, on qbible.com, Judges chapter 5, although please note, that uh, as I'll discuss, uh, Judges 5 is actually uh, an epic poem telling the same uh, story as Judges 4. Uh, and it's useful if you're not familiar with the book of Judges or the context of this, it's useful to consider Judges uh, as being an anthology of folk stories that are grounding and uh, significant for the nation that is telling them, uh, because these are about the history of Israel and uh, relations with other tribes uh, in a lot of things. So, and mm -hmm. it's also the reason that I did my own translation uh, of part of it is because of a story I wrote 
where I used an excerpt from this uh, as a, let us just say, counterpoint, although there could be a better way to put that, that I am doing something in a modern context, and I'm also creating something that is fiction uh, in a biblical time. And I also want people who aren't familiar with the original texts to have some point of contact where they can see uh, what I'm doing with some reference to the inspirational works. And as I said, the, uh, this is on qbible.com, Shoftim, or the Book of Judges, Chapter 5. And because uh, this is the Song of Deborah, uh, the thing that's really fascinating about translating it uh, is that uh, it is poetic and can't necessarily, uh, that in a literal translation, you actually lose uh, some of the nuance sometimes, and especially uh, you are losing the rhythm sometimes of the language. So I went and I compared a number of translations and some background on the specific, uh, the climax, which is the part that I was using. Uh, And I made some word choices that are definitely significant that I will get to in due time. Uh, Listen, because I'm going to be reading it. I want to, because part of the point of recording this, even if I'm the only one hearing it again when I listen back over, and probably my parents who are listening to this, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. And I hope if and when you hear this, that you are well and uh, that and ditto anybody else um, hearing this. But to get whatever the cadence is of the original, I want to just read it straight out, the actual original language. And then when I listen back over this, I'm going to be hearing it the way that this ought to be read or sung or pronounced, Uh, except my apologies in advance for uh, if I mispronounce things because uh, I am not, uh, that I don't speak uh, Hebrew as well as I can read and parse stuff of the language. And thankfully, the thing I'm working from here has transliteration in the middle. So uh, you can look at it in the Hebrew, in uh, just the way it sounds, which is what I'm going to be reading. And then there's a translation in the third column, which I will be uh, (laughs) 
talking about uh, comparative translations because I haven't seen this one before. But in five, uh, chapter five, line four, I already see the phrase "when thou wentest out," which is exactly the kind of thing that uh, we want to uh, get through, and you know, try to do something that's more naturalistic uh, sounding. And just before I start as well, uh, I mentioned that the Song of Deborah appears in the Judges anthology. And although it is chapter five, very interestingly, uh, it is possible and even you, you can look into the stuff about scholarship around this but it is uh, likely that this uh, chapter, the thing that I'm reading to you, uh, was actually composed something like 800 years uh, prior to everything else in the book of Judges. Which is a huge and unusual and meaningful thing uh, for a lot of reasons, and that raises questions. And if you're wondering how uh, they can carbon date a thing like that, that has to do with the language that's used, which is notably archaic comparatively to uh, stuff with the other uh, things. And chapter four, is a prose uh, version of this same epic and uh, the battle with Sisera and all this is being told from a slightly different angle. It's looking at four and five together is a study in of itself of biblical narrative and the way that things are conveyed. And we'll get to some of that I, w I do want to read the thing in a chunk. And just so you know what to listen out for, uh, for names, the Deborah is the only female judge in the book of Judges. Uh, and she is also a general, more or less, leading the troops of Israel into battle against the Canaanite general Sisera. Uh, and her uh, co-commander is Barak. This is where uh, in the Bible that name comes from, is Barak, son of Ahinoam. Uh, here it has Avinoam. Let's see. I think uh, usually that's with an H, Ahinoam. is a Hebrew name literally meaning brother of pleasantness or my brother is pleasant. Uh, two references to people in the Bible, whatever. Um, Barak, son of 
Abinoam. Oh, oh, right. Because B and V in Hebrew uh, can sometimes be, uh, it's sort of pronounced one way or the other, whatever the original letter is. So like the name Joab, for instance, or uh, JL in this chapter, uh, both of those would start, it's rendered with a J, but really it's with a, a Y or a Y, the same way as uh, Jehovah is a hard pronunciation of Yahweh, if you didn't know that. But that's one of the things with this podcast. We are all here to learn. Uh, and incidentally, as we're going to get to, it's kind of surprising that someone would name someone after Barack because uh, he's kind of not exactly second fiddle. It's not that simple to Deborah, but uh, uh, we'll cut into it. We'll discuss it. The I want to get to, as I've said, the actual reason for putting this on a recording, which is to hear the whole thing. Listen for the name Barak. Listen for the names of the tribes of Israel that we can break down. But uh, at the start, it begins with gathering the troops. So we talk about the tribes of Dan and Benjamin and Reuben and Naphli, Naphli, whatever, and Issachar. You'll hear them and perhaps you'll pick things up, perhaps not. Uh, and oh, yeah, so Joab could also, that, that was the thing, the B on the end of Joab. You could also pronounce that name as Yoav. So, and in this case, uh, I've heard people render her name as JL, but I like Yael, the Kenite, uh, at the end of this uh, poem. 15 minutes just about into this first recording. Future Adam, if you want to cut it, uh, the actual thing starts getting read around 15. Chapter 5. Watashar Devora Uvarak ben Avinoam Bayom Hahu Lemor, Lemor. Bifro Prayat B. Israel Behitna Dev Baraku Yahawa. Shimu Melachaim Haiznu Rosnium. And Noiki Laewa, Noiki Asira, Azamer Layawa, Elohe Yisrael, Yahweh Bitsetka, Misayer Bitsadeka, Mista Edom Eretz Raadsha, Rasha. Gam Shemayim Naaftu Naafu Gam Avim Nafu Mayim Ha 
Harim Nazlu Miepne Yahweh Sine Mipne Yahweh Elohe Yisrael Bime Shem Shamgar Ben Anat Bime Yael Chadlu Orachot Weholake Nitivot Yelku Orachot Akol Kualot Chadlu Frazan Biesrael Kadlu Adsha Kwamti Divora Sha Kwamti Ambi Israel Yivkar Elohim Kadashiam A Lachem Lakem Shearim Megian Im Yerea Wa Aramach Baarbayam Elef Israel Libye Lechwokwe Yisrael Ha Mitna Devim Baam Baraku Yahweh Rokve Atanot Tsikorot Yoshve Al Midian Wuholke Al Derek Siahu Mikol Mechatzim ben Mashabim Sham Yetanyu Tzidquot Yahweh Tzidquot Pirzono Israel Az Yardu Lash Arim Am Yahweh Uri Uri Devora Uri Uri Dabrishar Kumbarak Ushava Shveika ben Avinoam, his father. Yeah. Az Yiraj Sarid la Adirim am Yahweh Yiradli ba Giboy la ba Giborim. Mine Ephraim Sher Sham. Ba'amalek Acharreka Vinyamin Vinyamin Ba'amameka Mine Makier Yardu Mechokwim Umi Zvulun Moshkim Besheve Sofer Wisare Biyi Sakar Im Devora, we ye Sakar, a Ken Barak, Baamek, Shulak, Shulak, Barag Leu, Beiflagot, Ruven, Gedolim, Chikwe Lev, Lama Yashtav, Yashavta, Ben Hamish, um, Ben Hamishpt Tayam Lishmo Shriquot Adarim Liflagot Ruven Gedolim Chikre Lev Gilad Bevar Hayarden Shaken Widan Lame Yager Oniyod Asher Yashav Lakof Yamim Wa'al mifratsa yewu yishkon. Tzvulun am keref nafcho 
Lamut, uh, Winaftal, Elye, Al Mirume Sada, Bao, Milakim, Nilhamu, Az Nilhamu, Malche, Kenaan, Betanak, Alme, Megido, Betsa, Kesef, Lo, Lakwa, Chu. Min Shemayim, Nilhamu, Hakoka, Vayim, Mim Silotam, Mil, Ahamu, Im Siasra, Nahel Kishan, Grafam, Nahel, Kudiyumim, Nahel Kishan, Tidre Kai, Nafshi Oz. Az halmu equivesus mi daharot daharot abi rewa. Oru merits amer malak yawa. Malak yawa. Oru aror yoshveha kilo val le ezrat yawa. Le ezrat yawa. Bagiboyam Tvoracha Menashim Yael Esht Kever Hakwine Me Nashim Beohel Tvorka Tvorak Mayim Shaal Chalav Naatana Besefel Adirim Hikweri va kema Yada hala yetad a tishlachna wi minei lehalmut amelayim a wihalma sisira oh yes sisira a makukwa rosho U Mahatsa Wehalifa Raquato Ben. Oh, yeah, this is a line we're going to discuss in particular. Sorry, we're nearly at the end, but line five or chapter five, line 27. Uh, and why I say that. There's an important verb that I'm translating differently than previous translations, and uh, listen for uh, how this line. There's an interesting very tight repetition. Bain Raglayaha Kara Nafel Shakev Shakav Bain Ragleha Kara Nafal Baasher Karasham Nafal Shadud Baad Hakalon Nishkwafa Watiava M. Sisera Bad 
Hashenev. Uh, sorry, M. Oh, that's that's where it is. M. Sisera Baad Ha Eshenav Madu Boshash Rik Rikebo Levo Madu Eheru Paame Marke Voiteo. Chachmot Saroteha Ta'anena Ta'anena Afi Tashiv Amarehiyaha La Hala Yimtsu Yehalikwu Shalal Raham Rahamet Raham Atayim Lerosh Gever Shalal Tsevayim Le Sisera Shalal Tsevayim Rikma Seva Rikma Seva Rikma Yetim Le Tsevre Shalal Ken Yuvdu Kal Oive. Oh, really? Oive? <laughs> All right. Oiveka. <laughs> Yahweh. We Ohaveu. Kitset. Hashemesh. Bigavu. Rato. Watishquo. Haaretz. Arbayim. Shanafe. It is close to the end of uh, the tape that they give me, which is a half hour uh, chunk. So I'm going to just break it here and we will start analyzing uh, later. And I would love to hear someone who can make this uh, sing. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I wasn't catching it rhyming as much as the repetitiveness of the language, which is inescapable, but we'll get back to that um, after the break. 10.27 p.m. Ten thirty p.m. We are back, and it is time to break this down a bit. Uh, I'm gonna be skipping over, I'm just sort of not gonna be addressing most of the poem. I'm really going to be talking about the end, but if you read the uh, whole thing, uh, actually, I should also uh, link um, the version of uh, just an adaptation uh, of the Song of Deborah. I just pulled up and I'll uh, put as a link with uh, this podcast that actually I'm going to do that right now. I'll be right back. Cool. Uh, so that is attached and I was sort of hoping that, and we'll see when I hear it back. I know I was reading it in a stilted, straightforward way but uh, this version by 
Rev P from a uh, album or a thing called Under the Influence, which I have not heard the rest of. Uh, uh, it's only this song, but while working on this story, I've listened to this one like 4,000 times uh, because it does have the cadence in English. It does translate uh, very well and uh, has the energy that this really should have. And uh, there was uh, one thing I want to mention that I mentioned like doing, it's, it's not like you have to start all the way over to do translation, uh, but a lot of things, especially with biblical Hebrew, which is a highly nuanced, compact language, there are implications and stuff that uh, you may miss in translation or if a translator is only looking at the literal word, which is the case in something that uh, they did in the end of this song uh, that I uh, took. And amazingly, uh, I didn't see with any other biblical translation. It's actually kind of shocking. But uh, when they're talking about the spoils of war, that uh, Sisera's mother hopes uh, he is coming home with, uh, that uh, the translations always say some version of dyed embroidered cloth or embroidery. Uh, and at one point, it says uh, embroidered cloth for my neck. Actually, let's see. Well, with this version, it says for the necks. Yeah, it's an ugly fucking way to. Tsevar is the Hebrew. Uh, really, qbible.com is awesome. You can just go over things and it uh, gives definitions and stuff. But so, Tsevar uh, in chapter 5, line 30, uh, the penultimate line, uh, it is binding or the back of the neck as that on which burdens are bound, which uh, here it's, uh, it's just so interesting that uh, it says in the English here, it says, uh, firstly, it says divers colors, meaning diverse, but missing the E uh, diverse colors of needlework, of diverse colors of needlework on both sides for the necks of them that take the spoil, which is pretty literal. Um, but amazingly, uh, nobody before um, Rev P that I'm aware of 
uh, translated that as being scarves, which as soon as you say it, it just becomes so obvious that it would be stupid to say anything else, but colorful or dyed embroidered cloths for my neck uh, is really basically, uh, it's, it's describing colorful scarves. So uh, that's the way that it appears in that song. And that's why uh, it was really uh, uh, solid to have done that anyway. Um, and for the, I'm gonna also read the end of it and the part I'm gonna discuss uh, from my translation uh, after explaining one other thing that is definitely mine. Uh, and so far as I am aware, happily and proudly, one, I don't like tooting my own horn because I think it's a bad habit, uh, if nothing else. And there are other things you could say about that. Uh, <laughs> but I am proud of this thing I did here. Uh, because the way that I rendered a uh, line, uh, the translation I mentioned before of line 27, I think is more true to the original Hebrew uh, than any other translation that I found. And it's not uh, this way in the song, but... Um, pulling out something from context and I'm using a verb that makes that uh, significantly more vivid. And I am very proud of that. Uh, so, yeah, I'll explain what it is after I read it. Um, so then this is uh, my translation of uh, the last part of the Song of Deborah. Most blessed of women be Yael, wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of women in tents. He asked for water, she gave him milk. In a princely bowl, she brought him cream. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, crushed his head, smashed and pierced his temple. Between her legs he kicked, fell, lay still. Between her feet he kicked and fell. Where he kicked he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she whined, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why so late the clatter of his wheels? The wisest of her ladies gives answer, and she too replies to herself, they must be dividing the spoils of Israel. 
a womb or two for each man, spoil of dyed stuff for Sisera. Oh, this version is prior to that adjustment, excuse me. Uh, spoil of, or colorful spoils for Sisera, colorful uh, embroidery uh, and embroidered or colorful scarves, all this as spoil. And there is a line to tie it off. Line 31 uh, is a, uh, uh, I did not include for my own reasons and because of the story that I'm telling, uh, but 31 just ends with, let all thine enemies perish, O Yahweh, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might, and the land had rest 40 years, or there was peace in the land for 40 years, uh, which, of course, doesn't mean 40 years. Uh, that's an estimate. It means a generation. Like... Uh, like what we're seeing now in 2020 is uh, the breaking down of uh, a lot of things that have been systemic for a generation and uh, that for a long while we have had something like uh, peace and uh, what they call normalcy, which means things stay pretty much the same. But... Uh, that was a uh, previous world now. <laughs> was uh, Zooming with some friends just before doing this uh, recording, and we're talking about a picnic that we had back in February, I guess. And uh, I'm really glad I was able to go into the city and see everybody for that because that was a lot of fun. And we're all looking forward to when we can do that again, but know that it's going to be a year at least or something. Um, and having read uh, that shocking, uh, somewhat Tarantino-ish uh, uh, translation of uh, the climax, it's interesting to note, uh, you can do a lot from the fact that, uh, that the general Sisera, after having fled from the battle where he's losing the battle down by the river Kishan, uh, and ends up uh, getting nailed by this woman, uh, while he's lying down in her tent to rest. Uh, and chapter four has different, uh, is fascinating because the same thing and same things happen in the poem, uh, in the story as they are in the poem, but some details are different uh 
notably, for one thing, the fact that it says uh, that in a princely bowl or a fancy bowl or here, um, she brought forth butter in a lordly dish. Um, I've had it as cream or curds, uh, but in chapter four, the same exact maneuver happens, but instead of a bowl, she brings him a skin of milk. It describes like a pouch, you know, uh, which is a fine image to hop over into the Freudian part of uh, the discussion of this. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Freud does uh, actually have some relevancy here. I would love to know if Freud ever had any opinion on... Uh... This is an audience participation moment. Uh, Twitter, at time of posting... I would love to know if anyone knows if Freud ever wrote about this passage or the book of Judges. He, uh, his short but uh, mind-blowing book, Moses and Monotheism, has been a major influence on <laughs> my life and some of the things I've written. But... Uh, but I wonder if he was familiar with us because uh, you may not have picked it up uh, when you heard this in Hebrew and then in English. Uh, and also having heard this for what might be the first time, the scene here, uh, like I said, I'm not reading the earlier stuff, uh, but there's been the account of this whole giant battle at the start of which in chapter four, uh, Deborah says to Barack in a moment of prophecy that, you, that your deliverance lies in the hands of a woman, which of course, is what happens with Yael at the end of the story where Barak goes out uh, to fight Sisera and Sisera gets away. But then uh, uh, while he's lying down to sleep in Yael's tent, there's also the very important detail in 4 that doesn't appear here of the fact that she tucks him in when he lies down in her tent. Uh, and it's extraordinary to think that this uh, poem was written probably something like 6,000 years ago, give or take a millennium, maybe something like 5,000 years, not that it fucking matters at that distance, like... Bronze Age, uh, and it is such an old story, as I said earlier, that this predates everything else in the collection uh, and is a key 
early uh, story or uh, a epic poem commemorating a remarkable victory over the enemies of Israel, uh, the Canaanites. And the is also talking about um, Noah a bit ago and the curse of Ham, which falls upon Canaan, but that's not relevant to this. Uh, put a, let's say, put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to move on without, yeah. Anyway, the, the thing here back in the tent is that there is this extraordinarily Freudian, like just such a strong imagery here uh, that is inescapable in the poem. And you see it in the other as well. Again, if you are in a hotel motel or have a Bible on hand or the internet, you got to assume you can look at the two chapters and compare them and shit. But but the woman, Yael, uh, whose tent he goes into uh, is actually uh, taking on the attributes of the mother which is to say, in the most uh, basic line, uh, when he asks for water and she gives him milk. So the general, the, uh, the great adversary of the poem and that everybody has come out to fight and there are thousands and tens of thousands of troops and whatever the counts are, uh, and this general ends up uh, going into, it's just such beautifully dense uh, imagery because going into a woman's tent is a vaguely sexual implication in elsewhere in the Bible and biblical texts. Uh, there are things about the verbs being used but the the appearance of it when he goes into her tent might be that he's coming in there uh, for a carnal purpose and uh, that she may be receptive to this uh, when she is lying him down and talking him in and everything. Uh, although that note, is only in one of them, is only in the prose version of this. Uh, But it's even clearer when you think about the thing that she gives him, uh, a skin like a wineskin or pouch of milk, uh, that it's almost literally offering him a tit to be blunt about it, uh, as he's lying there and in a place where he thinks that he is safe 
in the care of a woman. Uh, and it is at that moment when he is uh, drank her milk and fallen asleep or is uh, lying there exhausted that she takes a stake uh, from, you know, that's holding the tent down and she takes the workman's hammer and drives that stake right through his head as chapter four uh, notes through his head and into the ground. And obviously that is a shocking thing. And I hope (laughs) that you had a, uh, WTF moment when you heard that, if you have not heard the story before. Uh, but that too is the next bit of it, because of course, uh, what could be a more phallic image than a giant spike? It's, uh, you see, I really would love to know if Freud ever wrote anything about this because the imagery is very tight, but as you start looking at this, it is unmistakable. It's the woman, it's the mother. He comes in with an idiom that seems uh, sexual, but then lies down in a vulnerable position and is given sustenance by a woman he asks for water and she gives him milk. And then when she puts the spike through his head, uh, there is the line uh, that I am most proud of in my translation, uh, 527. Um, And the reason for that is that uh, and actually also, uh, there's a thing for me of, uh, when things are literal or non-literal translation, like I mentioned with the scarves where, uh, the original word has to be like, it literally says colored and dyed material, uh, and colorful things for my neck. Uh, but the word scarf is an obvious uh, thing when you uh, substitute it. But uh, but in that, uh, the video, the version in English that is in the description, check it out. It's got a cool beat to it uh, and sort of uh, modern... Uh, beat and rhythm uh it's interesting it's fun uh and uh she in that version it says uh put a hole through his head uh which unlike the scar or the opposite of the scarves drove a hole through his head uh is actually not a literal translation. And although it does keep the verve and uh, convey the energy of that moment in the uh, that rendition, 
the original is actually um, part of that layered language thing where there are three verbs in that line uh, and uh, this one being the one before 526 uh, where the part that in the song is put a hole through his head uh, it actually says smashed and pierced his temple and that is important because the whole line is she struck Sisera, crushed his head, smashed and pierced his temple, where you could say put a hole through his head and that would convey what's happening, but the rhythm of the original partly is the fact that it has these verbs in quick succession, uh, crushed, smashed, pierced, and in fact, in the original, when it says she struck, uh, and I believe in the uh, the other one, the one you can listen to uh, <laughs> that I'm mentioning, uh, I believe that it does use the original verbiage, which is uh, hammer as a verb. So uh, what it really says is that she picked up the hammer she hammered Cicera, crushed his head, smashed and pierced his temple. So there's this action, there's this rhythm that's been kept up through the whole poem where there are earlier things like that. Uh, and because I've listened to that song a few thousand times now, uh, I really like the way that it captures that with things like uh, uh, stallions charge, stallions roared, stallions stampeded, or the stars came down, the stars joined the fight from the sky, the stars fought Sisera, which is this epic, evocative language and the whole sense of movement from the mountains down to the river, this clash of armies, and then uh, the general escapes and ends up seeking refuge in this random woman's tent uh, who greets him, possibly uh, like a lover or a mother, but then she murders him in a way that is distinctly Freudian or, or just an enormously phallic image. And because we're near the end of this tape and I've mentioned, like I, I've mentioned 527 a bunch of times. If you have the book, uh, you could look at it and you've had time to, if you want, Google uh, different translations of the line uh, but after I uh, break this disc and uh, turn it over, uh, we will pick up directly with what I've done to that line that I am so damn proud of.
and we're back. 11.04 p.m. Uh, 20th. Yep. May. Still. Um, and while that was processing, I listened again to uh, about half of uh, the time it took to process, but about half of that other song. And uh, <clears throat> there is the line which does not appear in the, uh, the original, but, uh, but does bring over the flavor of, uh, of the thing of Deborah, uh, who is a great leader in Israel and uh, is one of the strongest female characters in the Bible, as obviously as Yael, if you uh, have not got that through your head yet. But, but uh, while Deborah is looking for support from the other uh, tribes of Israel, uh, I think I mentioned way at the beginning, they have the names of all of them. Uh, and in uh, this version, uh, with this more contemporary rhythm, uh, there's this very sassy translation of Deborah, instead of saying, uh, you know, that some of uh, the tribes rallied to uh, me and some of them did not, or however it is originally, it's uh, uh, some of the brothers were with me and some of the brothers weren't. What's up with that? Which is, you know, cute. <laughs> And uh, I haven't forgotten about it. We are at line 27. And the verb in question uh, is kara, which uh, means to bend the knee by implication to sink or to prostrate is the way that uh, this is being translated uh, in the version I'm reading from online. Uh, and in the right column of that translation, uh, it uses bowed. Uh, so that the part that I read you from my translation, the verb there that I used is kicked when previous translations all say bowed or kneeled. Uh, and I think maybe there's one other thing that's used, but none of them are as good uh, as fitting uh, because I, looking at the, uh, the context and the line where um, the, this is right after with the hammer uh, that she uh, smashed his head, crushed his head, uh, put a hole through his head, however you put it. Uh, he's... Uh, the, the It's uncanny, really, how uh, perfect 
the Freudian or just phallic sexual imagery in this very short passage, how deep it really is, uh, because we have right there this phallic image uh, of her uh, while he's lying down to drive uh, that spike in and his reaction to it, uh, which I don't think is uh, described in chapter four, although it does have uh, Barack uh, coming in comically late to the game at the end of chapter four. Uh, um, but here, uh, after she uh, lands that spike, uh, that... Yeah, let's see. Just going back to my translation, uh, smashed and pierced his temple because the thing that it's actually describing in 27 uh, is not just that he fell down and it says it a few times, but it's actually the same structure as the thing I said earlier with uh, the star's came down or stallions something stallion stampeded uh the the river the ancient river the oh this is an awful translation i think it uh on the english on q bible uh that is a gift to all of us and dragging over and highlighting every word, uh, you can become far more uh, in-depth on this if you care to. But it says for 22, it says, Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. And that has got to be... There has to be a better, wait, did I already have that bookmarked for some reason? 522. Oh, no, nope. Uh, numbers thing. But uh, Bible Hub uh, as well, if you're interested in this sort of thing uh, previously, or I would be also happy to hear from anybody if, uh, these podcasts are uh, getting you interested in looking at biblical literature. Uh, so I'm not going to cite which ones I'm reading here, but Bible Hub has comparatives uh, verse by verse of different versions of the Bible. So... I'll just read first. The New King James Version has, Then the horse's hooves pounded the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Uh, we have the hooves of horses thundered, the mad galloping of his stallions, which right there, uh, the Berean Study Bible, that, uh, since this episode is now also discussing translating biblical poetry, that I think is a bad take because it is saying the mad galloping of his stallions, 
which uh, is trying to convey the same thing, but the repetition is part of the music and the language where English standard version here is the galloping, galloping of his steeds, which I think is uh, perfectly good. New American Standard Bible has the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. Uh, we had the prancings, the prancings, gallopings. Uh, good news translation felt inclined apparently to took it upon themselves to do a better job than King James and did something that's inferior easily because uh, they just say stamping the ground with their hooves because the ground doesn't come into it. The line is about the feeling of motion and that's uh, the building of this uh, of this whole poem uh, in being... Uh, there's this sense of constant motion. And that's where 27 uh, is an instance of that, that where um, in every version of translating that line, there are three verbs there that are used three times in one line in quick succession. And that's where I'm getting to the word choice that I did that is different uh, because for 27, same source, uh, same site, but New Living Translation has, he sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet and where he sank there, he died. The New American Standard has between her feet, he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet, he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead. And the emphasis there of between her feet or legs uh, is crucial. Uh, not all of these translations get that. Uh, and in fact, uh, actually contemporary English, the Razzie for worst translation in this, uh, for this line goes to the contemporary English version for the useless sentence, Cicero sank to his knees and fell dead at her feet which is a fucking travesty to a work of uh, literature that was being written out by hand for a few thousand or a, uh, a few centuries before the birth of Christ. Uh, however you count your time and count things of significance, uh, the repetition is everything, dude. This is poetry, not, uh, and, and, uh, and one more, actually, no, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible uses collapsed. An international standard uh, has crumpled. And all of these, some of them are okay. 
uh, God's word. This is uninspired, ironically. Sunk, fell, lay. That's the JPS to knock. Bowed, 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 bowed. Rolled down between our feet. Whatever, I've read enough of them. Uh, but there's also the much subtler distinction uh, here of uh, where actually the repetition of at her feet or uh, really between her legs is the crucial thing because continuing with this Freudian or deeply sexual imagery, uh, that we had the phallic symbol and we had the fact specifically emphasizing him uh, between her legs, moving down. Uh, fuck it. I'm just going uh, without arrogance, but you know what? Uh, I have done the best translation uh, that there has been since uh, the thing in its original form as it was 5,000 years ago. And I will stand by that because uh, you can look at it in context and you can see that there is a sort of spasmodic quality to the line, to this image that, you know, you might also get from just thinking about it, that, you know, if somebody has something, uh, you know, shoved through their head like that, that there's a, you know, there's a sudden motion of the body, but uh, bowed and collapsed and crumpled, all of those are, uh, are expressing something, but I don't think that there is a better rendition that could be done than kicked because what it's really describing here uh, is him thrashing around spasmodically for a second uh, when she murders him so dramatically and then falls still. Uh, and the genius of how tight the language is in all of this and what is very intentional imagery. It's uh, as as you get it, and I hope you're enjoying the way that I'm relating this because I've studied this and I've written a larger fiction that in part uh, in part deals with this on such a level that I uh, have done all this work. Uh, because uh, it actually isn't just feet. The way that I've done it uh, is also drawing attention to the fact that it's between her legs and then between her feet, where uh, most translations don't take that into account or don't think about it uh, but it's not just at her feet or between her, uh, her feet, her feet, but the fact that it says legs and then feet actually uh, is implying a movement downward 
the fact that he and and just by as it so happens in English, I'm uh, actually really proud with the, as well of the way that uh, that his motion of kicking is right there uh, next to legs and feet. So uh, it's all very tense and very uh, uh, very compact and uh that there is a orgasmic quality to it which is uh the the whole image when you put it together it's that she hammers him or really uh she nails him and we have him there between her legs uh, that he suddenly thrashes around for a moment and keels over and then lies very still. So there is a, uh, take your pick if you would rather call it a inversion or a perversion of uh, the sexual act in this moment where reading it with the dense imagery of the biblical text, the way that I've explained all this, he comes into her tent, a potentially sexual image. Uh, she greets him and he lies down where in some contexts, saying that uh, they lay together is euphemistic uh, sexually, uh, or, you know, he came into her tent, like he came to her, all of these things are, uh, are euphemistic verbs, really. Uh, but in this case, uh, it goes from being potentially sexual to these things of the mother with the milk and tucking him in. Uh, and then suddenly, so quickly that you can barely register it uh, in reading it, uh, the change here uh, that she goes from mother to murderer and uh, the climax uh, the very literal climax of this whole epic poem about the armies battling Sisera ends uh, with the man himself as vulnerable as a baby uh, in a position where uh, he should be in the care of this woman who stands there like a mother uh, and she and he kicked, fell, lay still between her feet, he kicked and fell where he kicked, he fell dead it's like the sound of someone thrashing around when you put it together like that and you really consider the language and then we get 
at last, the actual end, uh, with this uh, remarkable, surprising shift and something that's unusual even for biblical poetry, uh, where uh, there are usually, you know, things about the progression of verbs or theme, uh, like in the uh, one of the opening chapters of Job, there's a great example of this, uh, where he's lamenting the fact that he was ever born, uh, and there's this emphasis on day and night and something else. This uh, That observation uh, comes care of Robert Alter in his book on uh, the art of biblical poetry, uh, all of which, uh, all of his work is worth reading if you are interested in studying the poetry and literature of biblical writing. Uh, and he breaks that one down at length, uh, actually in the same book where uh, he discusses this passage as well, uh, although I have not been uh, referring to it during this recording. Uh, he actually made, uh, I don't know if I read it somewhere else in researching and comparing language, but he definitely pointed out the uh, the thrashing around the fact that uh, it feels like a uh, a death spasm. Although uh, in his translation, he used either bowed or kneeled, uh, which uh, is another verb you might use. But the shift there uh, from the death of the great general uh, in this weird circumstance uh, with all of these sexual uh, elements that are uh, present in chapter four as well, but it's unmistakable in the poem, because of course, uh, right from the moment of his death, we get a smash cut, as they would call it if you were doing this in film. Uh, they, it does a smash cut over to Sisera's mother back in the fortress of Herosheth Hagoyim where uh, the Canaanites have rode out from uh, looking uh, for uh, her son to come home and asking, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why so late the clatter of his wheels? Uh, a line and a moment, this, this, uh, speaks to me deeply. Um, and that never, I, I can't read it without getting chills, without feeling a bunch of things about it. 
but uh, it's such a peculiar thing to jump over to uh, this moment of pathos with the mother of the general, of all the people that you could end on, uh, the actual final lines of the poem of like, may all the enemies of Israel perish, could easily have followed right after uh, Sisera uh, getting his head smashed open. It could just say, where he kicked, he fell dead, may all the enemies of Israel perish. But this uh, ending, uh, this twist is so weird in the fact that we've just uh, witnessed and gone through the death of a great warrior in a position of ultimate vulnerability. Uh, and then it jumps over to his mother, not even the mother of Deborah or Barack, uh, not the mother of someone we're supposed to care about, but the mother of the enemy general with this very strange and tragic little moment of her uh, and the uh, also the way that the scene shifts with the very tiny notice of her looking through a latticed window when uh, it's been clearly established that we are in a tent. But all of a sudden, through the window peered Cicera's mother behind the lattice, she whined the, or cried out, but uh, I like whined uh, for, I mean, it's the way that it's translated in some cases, but I think it uh, uh, intentionally or otherwise, perhaps in the Hebrew, uh, but, uh, but certainly in my case, it uh, echoes the, uh, the thing, this image that we've just had of a baby being murdered in its sleep to uh, over to the mother whining. Uh, there's that, that peculiar echo as well. And... Uh, and in fact, as I'm looking over these different things, and there are just a few minutes left on this chunk of recording, so I'm going to cut it off in just a minute. I don't want to rush this, but I've pretty much said what I have to say about it, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, but I chose not to uh, include that final line about may all your enemies of Israel perish because the story that I am telling uh, is about the visceral uh, event and the, I'm doing a bunch of things with the scene and the imagery and a lot of stuff that I've just explained here uh, is what I wrote into that story, but I left off the end of it because it's a very martial, boastful conclusion. 
And I really want everybody to uh, recognize and end on the moment of the mother thinking, well, I hope that the men are having fun raping and pillaging and that they're finding colorful uh, embroidery and scarves to bring home to us as the spoils of Israel. So I hope you've enjoyed. Please feel free to reach out on Twitter at time of posting. I hope that uh, whenever, wherever you are, that this finds you well and safely quarantined. It is 11.33 p.m., 20th of May. Uh, be well and Zygazen.